We are in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. We're taking a look at verses 12 and 13, though I'm going to read starting in verse 11. Hear then the word of God. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so no creature is hidden before his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The Word of God. Pray with me. Our Father, we have gathered this morning to give our hearts to you in worship. Even now as we sit at your feet and of your word, we long to give you our worship by, by hearing, by receiving, and by longing to be and to do all that you call. Uh, call us to be and to do, for you to do that work in us through the power of your word that cuts so deep, exposes so much that we might be healed. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We as Christians are a people of the book, of the Word of God, of the Bible. We're a people of the book. Christianity is a Word-centered religion. It is centered around the Word of God. God speaks to us. He speaks to us in His Word as He spoke in creation. He speaks to us in His Word, and it comes with that same creative power. Romans 10, verse 17, it tells us that faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Faith comes from the hearing of the Word, the Word of Christ, the Gospel, not by seeing. We live by His Word, not by His image. God gave us His Word. He gave us His Word. He didn't give us pictures. It's not a picture book. It disappoints many. Other than the imagination that it stirs, it's not His pictures. Jesus is the Word of God. He is also the image of God. But that image is not physical. And so we get no physical descriptions of Jesus. And the second commandment forbids us from making any image of Him. Jesus is presented to the eyes of faith through the word of Christ, through the preaching of the gospel, and through the word as he is delivered to us through all of the words. And he says, and all of the words are about me. He tells on the road to Emmaus that he began in Genesis. He began with Moses and showed them all that the scripture said about him. Speaking of the Old Testament. Communion is a picture, but it always accompanies the preaching of the word. And our denomination, our BCO, does not allow us to serve communion unless the word is preached. It never takes the place of hearing God's word. That's why in chapter 2, verse 1, that we've studied a few weeks ago here in Hebrews 2, 1, it tells us that we must pay, clo- much pay, we must pay much closer attention to the word, to what we have heard, unless we drift Away. The anchor that keeps us from drifting away is paying attention to the Word, His Word. 
In chapter 4, verse 2, the beginning of this chapter that we're in now, he says that the, the good news came to us, or good news came to us, just as to them, but the message that they heard, the good news, this message that was preached, that was heard, and it's their concern that it was not united by faith in those who listened and who heard and, and combined the hearing with faith. And it goes on here in the verses preceding where we, are, where we get to in verses that we're going to cover this morning. He says four or five times that today if you hear His voice, if you hear God speak, if you hear His word, do not harden your hearts. Hear and respond with faith. And so in verse 11 that we just read, he says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall through the same sort of disobedience. That disobedience is failing to believe the promises that God had given and spoken to his people. The disobedience, it was, it was a disobeying, it was a failure to obey, which was to hear with faith and respond, and to enter his rest, and to, respect, to enter into the fullness of his promises. John Piper on this says, what they failed to trust was the good news, the word of God that was preached to them in the wilderness, the promises of God that he would care for them, that he would give them the victory, that he would forgive them, that he would be merciful to them. They did not believe God. They didn't believe his word, his promises. Therefore, he says, strive to enter his rest. And this striving here is, is much to hear and to believe. To, to mix faith with the hearing of God's word and his promises. To enter God's rest through faith in what God has said and what God has promised. And it's there that we will stand justified to rest. To enter that rest is to stand justified by believing in the gospel and trusting in Christ who He is and what He has done. It delivers us from the guilt and the power of sin. And all of it happens through faith in the Word of God. We're people of the book. We're people of the Word. You know, there's a saying of St. Francis that I've heard through probably all my Christian life. It's attributed to him, and nobody can prove it actually came from him. But it's a saying that says this, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Now, that sounds good at some level, right? You know, like that your, your life should exhibit the gospel in some way. And, I, and so in that sense, I think that it's that, okay, that's fine. But in so many ways, I find it unhelpful. Because words are always necessary. The gospel is the word about Christ. No one is going to understand and believe the gospel until you use words. Your life may illustrate the gospel. Your life may spark interest in people who see something in your life that is interesting to them. But you cannot preach the gospel unless you use words. Right? Unless you speak the name of Jesus. Right? Unless you tell them of the cross. Right? Unless this is, this is the word, this is the message that must be spoken. Preach the gospel at all times. And when you get to that point, use words. Right? Tell them about Jesus. It's the only way. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The power of God's spirit accompanies his word and his gospel, bringing about salvation and every other good thing that he does in our lives. And so verses 12 and 13, he goes on to say, and to describe for us the nature of his word, the power of his word, and the purpose of his word. The nature, the power, and the purpose of his word. And he mixes these images of physical to illustrate the spiritual. And he does it all with words. And so 12 and 13, the word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. That's its nature. The Word of God is living, it's active, and it's sharp like a double-edged sword. Again, there's a physical picture, a double-edged sword, speaking of a spiritual truth about the nature of the Word of God. It's living, it's active. That means it accomplishes things. It's living and it's active. It's spiritual, it's powerful. It's active in the sense that it accomplishes God's good purposes. John 6, 63, Jesus says, The words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. They are living and and they are active. They accomplish the good purposes of God. In chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, if we remember back to the first sermon in this series, we're told that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of God. Of his power. Jesus created, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit created the universe, speaking it into existence, and we're told that it is the word of his power, the word of his, Jesus' power that upholds all things in existence, so that it doesn't fly apart into non existence. That he creates and upholds in his word, his powerful word. Jeremiah 23 29 says, Is not my word like a fire? declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. Right? My word is like a fire. My word is like a hammer. It can devour. It can smash. And depending on God's purposes, it's like these things. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11, he says, For the rain and the snow come down, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, they don't return there, but they water the earth and they, and they make it bring forth Fruit and they sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eaters. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish that which I purpose. And it will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. My word will accomplish all of my good purpose, whether it is like a fire that devours or a hammer that smashes or like a rain that falls from the heaven or a sharp double-edged sword that pierces and divides the human soul. It's like a sharp double-edged sword. There's an image here that would be in his mind of the Roman gladius. Roman soldiers were ubiquitous in the Roman Empire, and they were, their, their standard weaponry was a, a sword, a, a short, double-edged sword that they used. It was good for thrusting. If you have a one-edged sword, it's not as good for thrusting into armor. It has one edge, and it comes, and it usually is for hacking in different ways, and it gives a more superficial, it does different kind of damage than a double-edged sword that is pointed and is good for thrusting through a shield wall or however it is, but it pierces, because of its double-edged pointed nature, it can pierce hard armor. 
And he says the word of God is like this Roman gladius. It's good for thrusting through hard armor into the depths of a person. Our problem is hard hearts. Right, that's what it's said before, right? That the heart you know, grows hard through the deceitfulness of sin. These hardened hearts, what can penetrate? Hearts like ours. Ephesians 6.17 says, The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword that the Spirit uses to pierce hard hearts and to accomplish God's purposes in, in our souls, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, which can cut deep into the soul. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to accomplish the purposes of God in the hearts and the lives of His people. We have to know this. The Spirit inspired the Word. Right? These are His words. God said, or even in this He says, as the Holy Spirit says, and He quotes Moses or something in the Old Testament, that, that it's God's Word, but the Holy Spirit inspires it so that you can say, as the Spirit says, and this Holy Spirit-inspired word is his sword that he uses. The word of the Spirit of God uses the word of God, his word, to accomplish the purposes of God in our, the depths where we need to change, where we need to grow, where we need to repent, where we need to be different. It is the word of God. This double-edged sword, it's sharp enough. That's the, the nature of the word is it's living, it's active, and it's sharp like a sword, it's, and its power is that it, it's sharp enough, it's powerful enough to penetrate to the deepest and to the inmost places of the human being, of the human person. It can pierce and divide the innermost soul. So he says, the word of God living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. So what is the division between soul and spirit? I'm like, I don't, I'm not, you know, there's those who think they know exactly what's going on, but anybody who can really parse out in the depths of the human soul, soul and spirit, and what's going on in there. But the Lord does. I don't fully understand it. The good news, he, he does. He's able to divide, and, and he says it's like dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Hey, now, bone and marrow, he's not cutting bone and marrow. He's talking spiritual things here. But the bone and marrow is an illustration, right, of soul and spirit, of just how intimately entwined they are in the inner core of a person, right? You have to go all the way through the body to get to the bones. And when you get to the bones, the only way to get to the marrow is to get to the heart and the, and the core of the bone. And to separate the, the marrow of the bone, the, the marrow in the center of the bone is where the blood supply is created, where blood cells are made. And life, even in the scripture, the life blood is, you know, is the life. And so to, to divide bone and marrow is the deepest of soul and spirit. I don't know, it can't get much deeper. He gets to the very bottom, the very heart, the very core. Right? This is the power of his word to get down to soul and spirit of a man or of a woman, to who you are in the deepest places of who you are. And his purpose, the nature is it's living and active and it's sharp and its power is that it's, that it's able to 
to pierce and to divide and to go to the deepest places of a person. And its purpose is, in the end of 12, dividing bone and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The thoughts and the intentions, and again, the heart there is but the physical thing, which is just a metaphor for the spiritual thing, which is the very core of you, where, where your soul and spirit and, and your thoughts exist. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so it's the thinking, it's, it's the inner, it's the person. It is what makes you you in all the non-physical ways that you are you. And his purpose is to discern what's going on down there, in there. Wife will look at me sometimes and be like, what's going on in there? I don't even know what's going on in there. Right? The heart is, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all else. It is desperately sick. Who can know it? Not us. We don't understand ourselves. If you had fully understood what was going on in there, you'd be a much better person. Right? There's stuff going on down in there that somebody's going to have to get in there and mess with it. Down to, he says, to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, the place where our true loves live. The place of our true loves, of our, of our motives. It's the place where faith lives or unbelief. John Piper says, one of the functions of the Word of God when it comes into us is that it penetrates very deep like a sword through tough, hard layers, and it makes judgments about what's there. It sees us, and it knows us, and it reveals us, and it shows us not only to the Lord, but to ourselves. Such that, verse 13, it says, that there is no creature hidden from His sight, all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. You know, you've got to imagine it was open-heart surgery where they've cut you open and cracked the ribs and pulled them back and exposed the heart of you, right? And he says that they were all naked and exposed before the one to whom we must give an account. He knows who you are, even if nobody else does. The sword opens up the soul and the unseen inner world of thoughts and intentions are laid bare for his examination. The the razor sharp sword of the spirit is able to penetrate the armor, our masks, our hypocrisy, all of our walls that we put up, all the lies that we tell to ourselves and everybody else. And and it is able to penetrate down to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the human soul. He's able to get through the deceptions and the justifications and expose the very heart of us. He sees. He knows. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to uncover who we really are, what we really love, what we really think, what we really intend. So the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. When the Word of Christ lays us open like this, one of two things is going to happen. Right? He is going to 
convict us and sanctify us, or he is going to judge and condemn us. Where there is true faith and a love for Christ, there will be, there will be a healing and a sanctifying through this kind of surgery. Right? It will either be the surgeon's knife or it will be the executioner's blade. Right? It will either heal us or it will condemn us. This opening up is the only way to be healed, but it's also the only way to have a true and just judgment. Right? So we take that judgment first. These verses come in the midst of a warning, a warning about deceitfulness of sin and of unbelief and of hardened hearts and to making sure that we strive to enter, to make sure that our hearts are true, to make sure that you do know him and love him and, and follow him, to make sure. In the midst of this, this, this context, these things come to us and tells us, my friends, nothing is hidden before the one to whom we must give an account. He's not deceived by our masks. He's able to see the true content. Our masks and hypocrisy will be stripped away and God knows who we really are. And so where, where are you really? Right? It becomes the question, where are we really then? If he knows where we really are, we should know who, where we really are. Or ask him to show us where we really are. When the sword of his... Spirit opens our hearts and opens our eyes to show us ourselves. Do we belong to him? Is our faith in Christ? Are we resting in his righteousness and in his righteousness alone? Are we striving to, to follow the high calling of Christ in a, in a life of holiness that is pleasing to him? Not just on the surface in the mask that I wear when other people are looking, but down in the deep places of who we really are. Because that's the only thing on that day that's going to matter. It didn't matter what everybody at church thought of you. It doesn't matter what anybody at work thinks of you. It doesn't even matter what your husband or wife thinks of you. The day is going to come when we will be laid bare. And the only thing that will matter is what he thinks of you. What he finds in the deep places is our faith in Christ. Are we resting in his righteousness? Are we following after Jesus? Revelation 16.7 says yes. Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. True and just. They are based on a perfect knowing. There's no guesswork. When, when I watch the trials that go on, and it's like, well, we have a really good circumstantial case. Right? It was like, well, there will be no circumstantial cases in heaven. His judgments are based on a, on a true knowing. And so all of his judgments are just and they are true. He knows us perfectly. His just judgments are perfect. Justice will be exact. And there will be no confusion. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We can't. We don't know our own hearts. I, he says, he goes on to say, I, the Lord, Search the heart. I, the Lord, test the mind, and I give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. My judgment is just and it is perfect. But this same word that can judge and condemn us 
is also to convict us and to sanctify us and to heal us. Because the same opening up of our souls is the only way to heal those deep places. Right? It's where God does his deep work in us. And so this dividing is, he doesn't open for his people. If you belong to him, if, if he opens it up and what he finds is there is that you love Jesus, your faith and your trust are in Christ, then his opening us for us is like the surgeon who wants nothing more than to bring healing to your soul, to make you more like Jesus, not just on the surface, but in the deepest of places, right? To change what goes on down there in our motives and in our thoughts, right? He wants to do that work from the deepest inside out of who we are. See, if the danger is that our hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sins, right? if our hearts are deceitful and they're desperately sick, then as Piper says, our only hope is that there is something sharp enough, something powerful enough to penetrate through all the deception and shed light on my thoughts and my intentions. The good news of God's promises and the warnings of his judgment are sharp enough, they are living enough, they are active enough to penetrate all the way to the bottom of the heart to show me the lies of sin and that they are indeed lies, that we will see and know the truth about ourselves and about our sin. What has the power to soften a hard heart? But the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It exposes us, and so He comes to His people like a surgeon, cutting through the hard layers and going down deep, exposing us so so that he can bring his healing hands to bear on what he finds there. My friends, we cannot fix ourselves. We, we can't even change in our own hearts. Apart from the Spirit of God and his grace, even to show us who we really are, and then doing that work, and bearing in us and planting there deep in those core places the fruits of his Spirit the love and the joy and the peace that should be planted in the deep places of our soul, the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness, right? Uh, the faithfulness, the self-control, that we want to be a deep part of our character, who we really are, not who we play to be on the surface, but what is deep and really is in here, the fruit of, a, of the Spirit's work, making us more and more like Jesus as He lays bare our impatience and our harshness, our lack of gentleness, our, our, our lack of our unfaithful thoughts or whatever self-justifying things are going on in there. He's able to cut through the junk. And bring us to conviction. And it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And repentance is where we experience grace and healing. My friends, we need God to see the truth about us. And to show us the truth about us. We need to be dragged into the light in the light of His grace, in the light of His mercy, in the light of His, His work, that He began a good work in you and He's going to carry it on to completion to the day of Christ. And it is this deep work that He wants to do. The Scripture is so clear at every stage. When Jesus says to people, they worship Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. And He goes after the heart. Only God is able to search the dark, winding labyrinth ways 
to discern our thoughts and intentions. It's impossible for us to separate it out, to sort it out, to understand our own self-justifying, self-serving, selfish nature. But he sees and he knows in that true change. We wonder where does true change happen? How do we really change? How do we, how do we really get to a new place? How do I get to be a new person? And this is the work. It is the deep work. It has to be the deep work. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God, which is why we need to be in it, which is why we need to sit under its preaching, which is why we need to love it, because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to expose our souls so that we can do deep repenting and find deep grace and find the seeds of the fruits of His Spirit taking root in the deep places, doing this work with Him. He uncovers our false loves, our self-love. He uncovers our idolatries so that we can worship him. He uncovers our false loves so that we'll love him. He uncovers our false motives and shows them to us so they can be purified. He wants to do the deep work, but he has to cut deep to do it. And we need to be in his word for that surgery to take place. His kindness leads us to repentance. And so he has to show us how bad it really is how desperately sick we really are. Cheer up, my friends. It's worse than you ever imagined. But God knew that. He knew the depth of our sin problem. When he set his love on us before the foundations of the world, and he called you to be his own and to include you in Christ, he knew how bad it was. You're discovering it day by day and figuring out how bad it is. But he knew. And he's more committed to that change than you are. Cheer up. It's worse than you ever imagined. And cheer up. The gospel is better than you ever thought it could be. That is, he uncovers all of that. That where sin abounded, the gospel tells us, grace superabounded. Right? It abounded all the more. And where God cuts and finds the junk down there where the sin abounds in the depths of my dark heart. His grace abounds all the more and he cuts it open so he can, he can pierce and let it find the healing of his light and his grace and the work of his spirit. Our understanding of the gospel has to be deep enough and big enough to handle what we see in our own hearts, to be honest about our junk so he can be deep in his work. God is calling us out of our unbelief into a rich and vibrant faith in our Redeemer, King Jesus. And it's in Christ that it is safe for us to be uncovered and exposed. It's okay. I need to see it. He needs to see it. We need to be in the light. And there, there is His work of healing. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to accomplish His deep purposes in our hearts. Spurgeon says, have you ever known what that means? Why this book has wrestled with me. This book has smitten me. This book has comforted me. This book has smiled on me. This book has frowned on me. This book has clasped my hand. This book has warmed my heart. This book weeps with me. It sings with me. It whispers to me. It preaches to me. It maps my way. It is a live book, all over alive from the first chapter to its last. It is full of a strange and mystic vitality because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. And it has this power There's no greater famine, right? Christ rules his church by the word and his spirit. His spirit and his word are 
are that which by He reigns and rules in His people and accomplishes all of His good purpose. And there's no greater famine in the Christian life than a famine for hearing the Word of God, to be deprived of its truth, to be deprived of its power, to be deprived of this gracious deep work. There is nothing worse because you will remain a superficial and who knows what it will find when that cutting goes deep later. Do we see how, how it must be a, a, a daily interaction, a, a lifelong interaction in relationship with, with the God of the Scriptures, the Spirit of God who makes that word and presents to us the Christ of the Scripture and the God. How they, It's a lifelong relationship and interaction of hearing and listening and repenting and believing and following and worshiping? Do we see that we cannot live by bread alone, but we can only live by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ, the sword of the Spirit, that opens our souls to His transforming power. Which is why when we hear all this as a Christian, It is safe for us to pray with the psalmist. We should desire this deeply. We pray with the psalmist, Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Divide soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and know me. See if there's any grievous way in me. And if there is, heal me and lead me in the everlasting way. Right? Lead me in the way of your word. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us enough that by the sword of your spirit you would pierce our hardened hearts and you would cut deep into our souls where you would do that healing which only you can do. Oh, would you remind us and teach us to be a people of the book, that we would be a people of the word, That the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. That we would feast upon it daily and weekly. That we would open our souls to you in it. Father, do this work. Change us in the deep places. For love and joy and peace. And patience and kindness and goodness. Gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Make us these people in the image of Jesus by the power of your word and spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.